0: Section sixteen of the Extermination of the American Bison. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. The Extermination of the American Bison by William T. Hornaday. Part Two, Chapter Two Methods of Slaughter. One THE STILL HUNT. Of all the deadly methods of buffalo slaughter, the still hunt was the deadliest. Of all the methods that were unsportsmanlike, unfair, ignoble, and utterly reprehensible, this was in every respect the lowest and the worst. Destitute of nearly every element of the buoyant excitement and spice of danger that accompanied genuine buffalo-hunting on horseback, The still-hunt was mere butchery, of the tamest and yet most cruel kind. About it there was none of the true excitement of the chase, but there was plenty of greedy eagerness to down as many head as possible every day, just as there is in every slaughter-house where the killers are paid so much per head. Judging from all accounts, it was about as exciting and dangerous work as it would be to go out now and shoot cattle on the Texas or Montana ranges. The probabilities are, however, that shooting Texas cattle would be the most dangerous, for instead of running from a man on foot, as the buffalo used to do, range cattle usually charge down upon him, from motives of curiosity, perhaps, and not infrequently place his life in considerable jeopardy the buffalo owes his extermination very largely to his own unparalleled stupidity for nothing else could by any possibility have enabled the still hunters to accomplish what they did in such an incredibly short time so long as the chase on horseback was the order of the day it ordinarily required the united efforts of from fifteen to twenty-five hunters to kill a thousand buffalo in a single season But a single still-hunter, with a long-range breech-loader, who knew how to make a sneak and get a stand on a bunch, often succeeded in killing from one to three thousand in one season by his own unaided efforts. Captain Jack Bridges of Kansas, who was one of the first to begin the final slaughter of the southern herd, killed by contract 1,142 buffaloes in six weeks so long as the buffalo remained in large herds their numbers gave each individual a feeling of dependence upon his fellows and of general security from harm even in the presence of strange phenomena which he could not understand when he heard a loud report and saw a little cloud of white smoke rising from a gully a clump of sagebrush, or the top of a ridge two hundred yards away he wondered what it meant and held himself in readiness to follow his leader in case she should run away. But when the leader of the herd, usually the oldest cow, fell bleeding upon the ground, and no other buffalo promptly assumed the leadership of the herd, instead of acting independently and fleeing from the alarm, he merely did as he saw the others do, and waited his turn to be shot latterly however when the herds were totally broken up when the few survivors were scattered in every direction and it became a case of every buffalo for himself they became wild and wary ever ready to start off at the slightest alarm and run indefinitely had they shown the same wariness seventeen years ago that the survivors have manifested during the last three or four years there would now be a hundred thousand head alive instead of only about three hundred in a wild and unprotected state. Notwithstanding the merciless war that had been waged against the Buffalo for over a century by both whites and Indians, and the steady decrease of its numbers as well as its range, there were several million head on foot, not only up to the completion of the Union Pacific Railway, but as late as the year 1870. Up to that time the killing done by white men had been chiefly for the sake of meat, the demand for robes was moderate, and the Indians took annually less than one hundred thousand for trading. Although half a million buffaloes were killed, by Indians, half-breeds, and whites, the natural increase was so very considerable, as to make it seem that the evil day of extermination was yet far distant but by a coincidence which was fatal to the buffalo with the building of three lines of railway through the most populous buffalo country there came a demand for robes and hides backed up by an unlimited supply of new and marvellously accurate breech-loading rifles and fixed ammunition and then followed a wild rush of hunters to the buffalo country eager to destroy as many head as possible in the shortest time for those greedy ones the chase on horseback was too slow and too unfruitful that was a retail method of killing whereas they wanted to kill by wholesale from their point of view the still hunt or sneak hunt was the method par excellence If they could have obtained Gatling guns with which to mow down a whole herd at a time beyond a doubt they would gladly have used them. The still hunt was seen at its very worst in the years eighteen seventy one, eighteen seventy two, and eighteen seventy three, on the Southern buffalo range; and ten years later at its best in Montana on the Northern. Let us first consider it at its best (which in principle was bad enough). The great rise in the price of robes, which followed the blotting out of the great southern herd, at once put buffalo hunting on a much more comfortable and respectable basis in the north than it had ever occupied in the south, where prices had all along been phenomenally low. In Montana it was no uncommon thing for a hunter to invest from one thousand to two thousand dollars. IN HIS OUTFIT OF HORSES, WAGONS, WEAPONS, AMMUNITION, PROVISIONS, AND SUNDRIES. ONE OF THE MEN WHO ACCOMPANIED THE SMITHSONIAN EXPEDITION FOR BUFFALO, MR. JAMES MCNANEY OF MILES CITY, MONTANA, WAS AN EX-BUFFALO BANTER, WHO HAD SPENT THREE SEASONS ON THE NORTHERN RANGE, KILLING BUFFALO FOR THEIR ROBES, AND HIS STANDING AS A HUNTER WAS OF THE BEST. A brief description of his outfit and its work, during its last season on the range, eighteen eighty-two, eighty-three, may fairly be taken as a typical illustration of the life and work of the still-hunter at its best. The only thing against it was the extermination of the buffalo. During the winters of 1880 and 1881, Mr. McNaney served in Maxwell's outfit as a hunter, working by the month but his success in killing was such that he decided to work the third year on his own account although at that time only seventeen years of age he took an elder brother as a partner and purchased an outfit in miles city of which the following were the principal items two wagons two four-horse teams two saddle horses two wall tents one cook stove with pipe one forty ninety sharp's rifle, breech loading, one forty five seventy sharp's rifle, breech loading, one forty five one twenty sharp's rifle, breech loading, fifty pounds gunpowder, five hundred and fifty pounds lead, four thousand five hundred primers, six hundred brass shells, four sheets patch paper, sixty Wilson skinning knives, Three butcher's steels, one portable grindstone, flour, bacon, baking powder, coffee, sugar, molasses, dried apples, canned vegetables, beans, etc, in quantity. The entire cost of the outfit was about fourteen hundred dollars. Two men were hired for the season at fifty dollars per month, and the party started from Miles City on november tenth which was considered a very late start the usual time of setting out for the range was about october first the outfit went by rail northeastward to terry and from thence across country south and east about a hundred miles around the head of O'Fallon creek to the head of beaver creek a tributary of the little missouri a good range was selected without encroachment upon the domains of the hunters already in the field and the camp was made near the bank of the creek, close to a supply of wood and water, and screened from distant observation by a circle of hills and ridges. The two rectangular wall tents were set up end to end, with the cook stove in the middle, where the ends came together. In one tent the cooking and eating was done, and the other contained the beds. It was planned that the various members of the party should cook turn about a week at a time. BUT ONE OF THEM SOON DEVELOPED SUCH A RARE AND CONSPICUOUS TALENT FOR BREAD-MAKING AND GENERAL COOKERY, THAT HE WAS ELECTED BY ACCLAMATION TO COOK DURING THE ENTIRE SEASON, TO THE OTHER THREE MEMBERS FELL THE HUNTING. EACH MAN HUNTED SEPARATELY FROM THE OTHERS, AND SKINNED ALL THE ANIMALS THAT HIS RIFLE BROUGHT DOWN. THERE WERE BUFFALO ON THE RANGE WHEN THE HUNTERS ARRIVED, AND THE KILLING BEGAN AT ONCE. At daylight the still hunter sallied forth on foot, carrying in his hand his huge sharps rifle, weighing from sixteen to nineteen pounds, with from seventy-five to one hundred loaded cartridges in his two belts or his pockets. At his side, depending from his belt, hung his hunter's companion, a flat leather scabbard containing a ripping knife, a skinning knife, and a butcher's steel upon which to sharpen them the total weight carried was very considerable, seldom less than thirty-six pounds and often more. Inasmuch as it was highly important to move camp as seldom as possible in the course of a season's work, the hunter exercised the greatest precaution in killing his game, and had ever before his mind the necessity of doing his killing without frightening away the survivors. With ten thousand buffaloes on their range, it was considered the height of good luck to find a bunch of fifty head in a secluded draw or hollow where it was possible to make a kill without disturbing the big herd the still hunter usually went on foot for when buffaloes became so scarce as to make it necessary for him to ride his occupation was practically gone at the time i speak of the hunter seldom had to walk more than three miles from camp to find buffalo in case there were any at all on his range and it was usually an advantage to be without a horse from the top of a ridge or high butte the country was carefully scanned and if several small herds were in sight the one easiest to approach was selected as the one to attack it was far better to find a herd lying down or quietly grazing or sheltering from a cold wind than to find it travelling for while a hard run of a mile or two often enabled the hunter to head off a moving herd and kill a certain number of animals out of it the net results were never half so satisfactory as with herds absolutely at rest having decided upon an attack the hunter gets to leeward of his game and approaches it according to the nature of the ground if it is in a hollow he secures a position at the top of the nearest ridge as close as he can get. If it is in a level flat, he looks for a gully, up which he can skulk, until within good rifle-shot. If there is no gully, he may be obliged to crawl half a mile on his hands and knees, often through snow or amongst beds of prickly pear, taking advantage of even such scanty cover as sagebrush affords, Some Montana still-hunters adopted the method of drawing a gunny-sack over the entire upper half of the body, with holes cut for the eyes and arms, which, simple but unpicturesque arrangement, often enabled the hunter to approach his game much more easily and more closely than would otherwise have been possible. Having secured a position within from 100 to 250 yards of his game, often the distance was much greater, the hunter secures a comfortable rest for his huge rifle all the time keeping his own person thoroughly hidden from view estimates the distance carefully adjusts his sights and begins business if the herd is moving the animal in the lead is the first one shot close behind the foreleg and about a foot above the brisket which sends the ball through the lungs if the herd is at rest The oldest cow is always supposed to be the leader, and she is the one to kill first. The noise startles the buffaloes, they stare at the little cloud of white smoke, and feel inclined to run, but seeing their leader hesitate, they wait for her. She when struck gives a violent start forward, but soon stops, and the blood begins to run from her nostrils in two bright crimson streams in a couple of minutes her body sways unsteadily she staggers tries hard to keep her feet but soon gives a lurch sidewise and falls some of the other members of the herd come around and stare and sniff in wide-eyed wonder and one of the more wary starts to lead the herd away but before she takes half a dozen steps bang goes the hidden rifle again and her leadership is ended forever Her fall only increases the bewilderment of the survivors over a proceeding which to them is strange and unaccountable, because the danger is not visible. They cluster around the fallen ones, sniff at the warm blood, bawl aloud in wonderment, and do everything but run away. The policy of the hunter is not to fire too rapidly, but to attend closely to business, and every time a buffalo attempts to make off, shoot it down. One shot per minute was a moderate rate of firing, but under pressure of circumstances two per minute could be discharged with deliberate precision. With the most accurate hunting rifle ever made, a dead rest and a large mark practically motionless, it was no wonder that nearly every shot meant a dead buffalo the vital spot on a buffalo which stands with its side to the hunter is about a foot in diameter and on a full-grown bull is considerably more under such conditions as the above which was called getting a stand the hunter nurses his victims just as an angler plays a big fish with light tackle and in the most methodical manner murders them one by one either until the last one falls his cartridges are all expended or the stupid brutes come to their senses and run away occasionally the poor fellow was troubled by having his rifle get too hot to use but if a snow-bank was at hand he would thrust the weapon into it without ceremony to cool it off a success in getting a stand meant the slaughter of a good-sized herd a hunter whom i met in montana mr harry andrews told me that he once fired one hundred and fifteen shots from one spot, and killed sixty-three buffalo in less than an hour. The highest number Mr. McNamee ever knew of being killed in one stand was ninety-one head, but Colonel Dodge once counted one hundred and twelve carcasses of buffalo, inside of a semicircle of two hundred yards radius all of which were killed by one man from the same spot and in less than three quarters of an hour the kill being completed the hunter then addressed himself to the task of skinning his victims the northern hunters were seldom guilty of the reckless carelessness and lack of enterprise in the treatment of robes which at one time was so prominent a feature of work on the southern range by the time white men began to hunt for robes on the northern range buffalo were becoming comparatively scarce and robes were worth from two dollars to four dollars each the fur buyers had taught the hunters with the potent argument of hard cash that a robe carefully and neatly taken off stretched and kept reasonably free from blood and dirt was worth more money in the market than one taken off in a slovenly manner, and contrary to the nicer demands of the trade. After 1880, buffalo on the northern range were skinned with considerable care, and amongst the robe-hunters not one was allowed to become a loss when it was possible to prevent it. Every full-sized cow-robe was considered equal to $3.50 in hard cash and treated accordingly. THE HUNTER OR SKINNER ALWAYS STRETCHED EVERY ROBE OUT ON THE GROUND TO ITS FULLEST EXTENT WHILE IT WAS YET WARM, AND CUT THE INITIALS OF HIS EMPLOYER IN THE THIN, SUBCUTANEOUS MUSCLE WHICH ALWAYS ADHERED TO THE INSIDE OF THE SKIN. A WARM SKIN IS VERY ELASTIC, AND WHEN STRETCHED UPON THE GROUND, THE HAIR HOLDS IT IN SHAPE UNTIL IT EITHER dries OR FREEZES, AND SO RETAINS ITS FULL SIZE. On the Northern range skins were so valuable that many a dispute arose between rival outfits over the ownership of a dead buffalo, some of which produced serious results. end of section sixteen.